Hey, y'all, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Bison Coolers, 100% American-made coolers. They're built not only for the outdoorsman or woman, but also for the weekend warrior type. You know, maybe uh, college football tailgating is your thing, or you're taking the wife and kids camping for the weekend. Either way, Bison Coolers has you covered. They're family-owned and offer great customer service, and you can find their entire lineup of coolers, tumblers, bottles, and other Bison gear by visiting bisoncoolers.com. Indians of long ago Followed after Buffalo And they found a use for every part Everything except his heart And I have wondered like those Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Chase the Buffalo, one of my favorites there from the great Pierce Pettis, kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, Also, thank you to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm your host, Cable Smith, and this, my friends, is episode number 375. Can you believe that? 375 episodes into this once a week now for what how long is that seven years i don't know my math sucks but it's a long damn time i'm still having fun doing it though you guys and gals are still listening and there's no place i'd rather be than right here talking hunting fishing the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks so you know what to do by now it's no secret pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos, that that one your grandpa passed down to you. It's still got, well, if it's like mine, it's a green Stanley. It's still got mud caked on it from the 2010 waterfowl season. I'm sure of that. Maybe you put a little bit of grandpappy's old cough syrup in there with your coffee. Maybe you don't. I don't know. My grandpa always told me to drink it black like a man, so uh, that's what I'm having this morning. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you. We'll be all over the map, and we will kick things off by heading all the way to South Africa. Uh, Now, that might not be of interest to some of you. I totally understand that. But when you talk about greater kudu, I do believe it truly is one of the most majestic animals on the planet. For sure, the most beautiful antelope gracing God's green earth. Uh, Absolutely no doubt about that for me. And uh, it's the most sought-after trophy for American hunters traveling to the dark continent. So, anyway, we will talk kudu hunting with Ross Sticks Hool from John X Safaris, the longtime PH uh, from John X Safaris. And uh, we'll talk everything kudu hunting from the rut to the terrain to their population, whether they're thriving or declining and uh, also bullet selection and shot placement. So all that coming at you when our good buddy Sticks from John X Safaris drops in all the way from uh, South Africa here in a second. Then, and and this I'm really excited about, guys, uh, we're going to stop by an antique weapons dealer shop. Uh, His name's Ed Ray, and he's been dealing with antique firearms, vintage weapons for 30-plus years. I recently became aware of the FP-45 Liberator pistol manufactured by the U.S. Army back in 1942, and the sole purpose for this single-shot 45 was for Allied forces to drop it behind 
enemy lines that's occupied uh, countries or the Germans were in France and uh, Belgium and I mean you name it Poland uh, but anyway they would drop these pistols behind enemy lines in hopes that uh, the resistance effort would pick one up use it to kill a German soldier and then take their weapon now this idea was great but largely failed and we'll uh, we'll talk about not only how General Motors manufactured this weapon for the U.S. Army, uh, but what else went into it, and then why, ultimately, the Liberator didn't do much liberating at all. So, fascinating piece of World War II history uh, regarding this unique firearm here in just a minute. Uh, after that, we will get into the P's and Q's, that's right, the do's and don'ts of ones and twos, out on the water, Elite Series angler Greg Hackney, Stops by. Um, I caught up with Greg at the Bassmaster Classic two weeks ago down on Lake Conroe, and uh, he <laughs> he's one of the nicest guys on the Elite Series, and he put up with my somewhat insane line of questioning. But it is fascinating. What if a guy has to take a dump while he's fishing the Bassmaster Classic? What if he's got to go uh, just take a tinkle with two other or three other people on his boat? Plus, oh my gosh. You will not believe the horror story that Greg told me regarding a buddy of his who was a fishing guide and what one woman did on his boat. It's, uh, <laughs> get ready. It's pretty bad. Uh, then we will wrap up today's broadcast by talking some spring turkey. I've got six tips for you that uh, might help you bag that big tom this spring. And this is all stuff that I've learned through trial and error in the turkey woods. Some of it, hell, I learned last week. I mean, um, turkey hunting can be a very fun and rewarding, but equally frustrating endeavor because sometimes those dang birds just don't want to cooperate. So six of my personal turkey tips, uh, to wrap up today's broadcast. And I tell you what, spring turkey hunting is about as much fun as you can have with your pants on. There is no doubt about that. Uh, so that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. Guarantee you that, uh, real quick. I did want to mention we finalized our prize for the April photo contest. It's a pair of Costa sunglasses plus a cap and T-shirt. So Costa sunglasses, cap, and T-shirt to this month's winner. All you need to do, email me your best hunting or fishing photo to Lone Star Outdoors Show, gmail.com. Uh, you can also post it on our Facebook page or uh, use the hashtag LSOS photo contest on Instagram. We'll get you entered, and then our 12 monthly winners will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt Trophy Axis Deer or Black Buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Uh, so get those photos in. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Lone Star Beer camo cap, a Lone Star Beer camo koozie, and a Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker. A third person to text in the word gobbler. That's gobbler to 214-289-7807. That's Gobbler to 214-289-7807, and we'll send you the Lone Star Beer Camo Prize Pack. Well, let's take a break. We've got a lot to get into. Up next, we'll take a ride across the big pond, head over to South Africa, and talk some kudu hunting with Sticks Hool from John X Safaris right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about Tidal Roofing. 
a fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003. Plus, one of the owners is a range listener himself. Title Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at TitleRoofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Hey y'all, Cable here for the Lake Fork Classic Amateur Fishing Tournament benefiting Camp John Mark. John Mark is a camp that serves children and teens who share a common medical or physical challenge. There are big fish tournament prizes awarded to the top six biggest fish. Barbecue and raffle auction following the weigh-in. Visit www.lakeforkclassic.com for details. It's all going down Saturday, April 22nd at the legendary Lake Fork. So come on out for a fun, laid-back tournament for a good cause. That's www.lakeforkclassic.com. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. the hell was that? If I can move, I'd get my gun and put her in the ground. Woo, that is much better. All right, Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors show. Mel Tillis, uh, Ruby, don't take your love to town, bringing us back here. Uh, I don't know what happened there. Toto, Africa, trying to hijack things. Uh, but we're actually going to head to South Africa here momentarily. Talk some kudu hunting with our friend uh, and PH Ross Sticks, who will. But before we get into uh, perhaps the most majestic antelope species on the face of the earth, this segment of the show is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I would personally would like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of like-minded folks who are passionate about education, conservation, and hunters' rights. So to join us in this mission, join the fight against anti-hunting, against poaching, against ignorance, check us out at biggame.org. Alrighty, alrighty. Well, without further ado, I understand that Styx is on the line, joining us from South Africa's beautiful Eastern Cape. 
And this morning we're going to visit with the longtime PH about, well, when you think about Africa, or at least for me, and I know a lot of other hunters out there, the kudu is synonymous with grace, beauty, strength, and it was just an absolutely amazing animal. I imagine, and we'll ask Sticks about this, but I imagine it's probably the most uh, sought-after trophy that Africa has to offer, possibly excluding uh, the big five, of course. Anyway, joining us now to talk some kudu hunting, it's my pleasure to welcome longtime professional hunter Ross Sticks Hool of John X Safaris. Thanks for being here, Sticks. Thanks, Cable. Thanks for having me on the show today, and good morning to all your listeners. Yeah, yeah. So what time is it in uh, in South Africa right now? Cable, it's a little after 5 p.m. here at the moment, so on a glorious sunny afternoon. Awesome, awesome. Well, last time we spoke was at the, uh, well, it was after the Dallas Safari Club show. Um, John X Safaris always yes, comes to yes. Dallas for the uh, convention, and uh, we all went out to dinner yeah. And I'm pretty sure the libations were flowing. I know we had a good time. Yeah, we did indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, what I want to discuss today is a specific spiral horn antelope that I will be hunting with John yeah. X Safaris in August. And let me ask you, if I was to say, Sticks, which spiral horn antelope is the most sought-after species by your hunters, uh, what would your response be? Cable, not only just spiral horn, but hands down, probably the most sought after period would be the kudu, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh huh. Okay, so, and you guys have greater kudu in South Africa there on the Eastern Cape? Yes, so basically in, in Southern Africa, you have the Southern Greater Kudu, and then you have the Eastern Cape or East Cape Greater Kudu, which is a subspecies of the Southern Greater, and that's what we actually have down in our hunting areas, the East Cape Kudu. So it's a slightly smaller in body and slightly smaller in horn, um, in horn length, but it has a really bright, vivid cape on it. It's got beautiful coloring and just a, a really neat-looking animal. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and the greater kudu is a woodland species, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, it's, it's interesting, Cable, down in our areas in the East Cape, it's, it's become a, a very adaptive species. We're finding them up at altitude in the mountain areas as well as right down on the coast, but generally we would expect it to be a woodland species. Um, we've just noticed over the last few years that they really are adapting and going higher and higher into the mountains. So it's quite nice now that you could be hunting in a higher altitude area and there's always the possibility of seeing a good kudu bull up there too. Uh-huh. Well, so if this is the most sought-after trophy, and I know that you know poachers, are, they're not poachers aren't really prevalent in in your neck of the woods, but across much of Africa and in, in the kudu's range, uh, it is. Would you say yeah. that the kudu's yeah. population is uh, you know holding steady or declining, or what's the overall vitality? Um, I would certainly say it's holding steady across most of Africa, and then specifically in South Africa, it's certainly increasing. Uh-huh. It's definitely on the up. Um, it's, a, it's, it's well regulated by our government in terms of um, just bag limits and stuff for, for South African hunters. And then being such a sought after species, you know, it, it then, it's got a good dollar value on it. So all us private landowners, we will tend to really protect the higher value species like that. So if I personally was to go out to my ranch, I would try and shoot something maybe more common like an impala or a blessed buck for 
for making jerky in the house um, as opposed to shooting a young kudu bull because that's one of your higher value animals. You'll preserve them. And so certainly their numbers are being well looked after in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that was something I wanted to mention because like uh, more more and more Texas hunting operations are um, yeah. stocking their places with kudu. And, and who wouldn't want okay. to have the opportunity to shoot one? But in Texas, I mean, the price tag on, you know, if you go to a ranch and you want to shoot a kudu, you're looking at twelve to fifteen thousand yeah. dollars, um, <laughs> which this is one of the mind blowing yeah. things about South Africa, is you can go shoot a nice kudu bull with John X Safaris or whatever name your safari yeah. company fifteen hundred dollars. So exactly, I mean, exactly the trophy so, fee is minimal. You know, it is minimal, and personally, I think in terms of value for money, it's just a fantastic trophy. You know, at fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, I don't know what you'd like to compare it to in the States. Would you like to compare it to maybe a big bull elk or something like that um, in terms of stature and impressiveness? Um, uh-huh. uh, I think at 1500 bucks, there is no comparison in, in what else you can shoot anywhere else in the world for such a magnificent trophy animal. Oh, yeah. No, you couldn't shoot. Uh, I mean, you could shoot one on public land for that if you went in unguided like a, a bull elk. Uh, but if you wanted to yeah. go and you know have an, an outfitted, uh, fully guided trophy elk hunt you're 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 not even in the conversation until you're at five or six thousand dollars you know and it, <laughs> it just goes up yeah. from there so uh very yeah. affordable species to hunt the greater kudu um by far one of the most magnificent animals walking the face of god's green earth you talk about those big spiraling horns um and then exactly. the wide and you know what uh, cable from my perspective um and you know in my opinion as a professional hunter who guides a lot of clients to hunt these animals um a kudu is, is the all-round package, not only from an impressive trophy, but just from how you have to approach a hunt for a kudu. He's very smart. He's got incredible eyesight, incredible hearing, an incredible sense of smell. Um, you'll often find, like, uh, with groups of kudu, possibly some warthogs nearby or some impala or something else that's maybe not as vigilant as kudu are, and they basically just shadow them to, um, using their eyes and ears for protection. And you really got to approach, when you spotted a big kudu bull, you got to think a long ways out. You got to think of all the eventualities. What if this happens or that happens when, when you start putting a stalk on these guys? So that's what makes it such an interesting hunt too, is the challenging aspect of it. Uh-huh. Okay, well, so you kind of compared it, you know, size and stature-wise to a big bull elk. I think I read, uh, just doing a little research, that, a uh, kudu bull can weigh five, six hundred pounds, something like that, a big one. Um, so yes. that's, you know, that's pretty comparable uh, to an elk. Um, both woodland okay. species. The thing about hunting elk during the rut, though, is that you can call them to you. And so my question was going to be, number one, at, at the end of July, will the kudu be rutting when I'm there? And number two, if they are, can you talk to these animals? Are they vocal? Can you call them to you? Or is it basically you've got to see them and then <laughs> go make a play on them? Yeah. Um, so yes, the kudu also have a rutting season, but by no means is are they vocal like the elk or some of the deer species. So these guys, they will um, go and start following herds of cows around, and that's certainly the best time of year to have the opportunity to see more and more big bulls than you usually would. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't make any kind of vocalization. Okay. Also, if you were to vocalize anything at all, you're just going to chase the whole lot away. See you later. Um, okay. But you still got to. <laughs> You still got to spot him from distance, um, and it does help though in that. So those big old bulls are extremely smart, and perhaps like August, uh, later in August into September, it's a very tough time of year in our areas to hunt them, just because it's post rut, and they kind of go and hunker down, stick to themselves high, 
uh, up in the thickets and in in the high areas in the mountains. Um, but in the rut, certainly they they're following herds of cows around and they they following looking for cows on heat. So it is the best time to hunt them. So you do you have a good opportunity on a on a good bull at that time of year. Mm-hmm. So it would be very difficult to bow hunt kudu without sitting at a water hole. Essentially, I mean, uh, because you can't. I call agree, Kevin. And- I mean, I've I've spoken to a number of guys about that, and in my opinion, um, excluding only maybe a few of the very small mountain animals like a vol rebuck or a cliff springer high in the mountains, a kudu bull on foot with a bow and arrow, that's a challenge. In my opinion, if you get that right, you have done extremely well to get that done on foot. It's just so vigilant. You know, you mm-hmm. break within that 100-yard barrier you click, it's got like a sixth sense. You, when you think you've been completely quiet or in your approach and everything's perfect and you're completely camouflaged, you hear him bark at you and he disappears. So oh, yeah. I would 100% agree with you. It's one of the hardest things on foot to hunt with a bow and arrow. Without uh-huh. a doubt. Well, and because they also live in that thick woodland habitat, like you said. Um, yeah. So, okay, so I'll, I'll leave the bow at home. Uh, what What is, I guess, what are some of the most common... Uh, rifle caliber choices that you see hunters bring to South Africa for kudu. Yeah, um, look over the years, cable. Some of the most, one of the most common would be obviously the 300 or any 30 calibers. The 300 Win Mag being extremely popular. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of our clients bringing 300 Win Mags, and it's just a good go-to rifle. You know, should you be hunting kudu and decide, well, maybe I must take a big Eland, or maybe I should take a Nyala, or Maybe I should take, you know, any other medium-sized game. It, it's an all-round caliber. It does a job, you know, from zebra up to the kudu and those those things, you know. So it's a very good choice. And um, a lot of guys come with 308 as well. And what I like to say is kudu. I think you you definitely on the mark with around 180 grain bullet. Whether it's going to be after a seven mil or a 306 or a 308 or something like that, but around 180 grains is is what we'd recommend is the right amount of gun for those animals. Okay, okay, yeah, I'll probably bring a seven mag. That should do the job pretty effectively. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as bullet so, choice with, uh, within those hundred, you know, say you want 180 grains, you're looking for a pretty hard bullet that's going to just get. I mean, you're not looking for devastation upon impact you want something that's going to drive through these african antelope right yes you know it's interesting Kev. we've had a, obviously a lot of guys trying all every ammunition on the market has been tried and i i almost get the feeling that a lot of animals maybe in the north american animals haven't got as thicker skin or as dense a bone but a lot of ammunition guys try will shatter on impact or hit the shoulder bone and blow up and not get sufficient penetration i I'm quite conventional in terms of the approach to ammunition. I'd say one of the most successful ammunition of all time is the Barnes X. Um, the Barnes TSS is just a hard bullet. You get phenomenal penetration. And I personally have never, ever seen a Barnes X fail on our bigger game yet, like Kudu and Elon and Zebra and those li- the likes of those animals. Mm-hmm. Um, the Barnes X is definitely a very good bullet. Obviously, the AccuBond is a great bullet as well. And you know, that being said, I've had great success shooting the bigger, heavier uh, burgers. But um, I think if you were just gonna, if you were a betting man and said, right, just look at the basic um, results over many years, the harder bullets uh, with a good solid lead core, or like the the Barnes is obviously straight copper, they just they perform really well. And um, I've never had any issues with those bullets. And talk about shot placement on these animals. Uh, you got two options in on most North American big game. You can shoot them in the vitals which is typically, you know, that crease right behind their front shoulder, or you can, and this is what I do with any trophy, really trophy, 
is I just shoot them in the front shoulder and it anchors them and, and they're not going anywhere. Exactly. Um, what about? I, I agree your... with that 100%. Uh-huh. And you know, Kev, we've had a number of guys almost wanting to shoot, like you say, that crease behind the shoulder. And although, yes, you'll hit the back of the lungs, all our animals, pretty much all of them, the uh, heart and the main bulk of the lungs is behind that front shoulder. And always below the halfway point. None of our animals' vitals sit high. And it's quite a common mistake, actually, that a lot of guys shoot them too high. Mm-hmm. And and, don't, and you don't actually get a clean clean kill that first shot. So I certainly would say the what you said is 100% correct. You come a quarter to a third of the way up the front shoulder and break that front shoulder. Then you're pulling up an anchor, you pull the hand, the park break up on that animal, and he's not going to go anywhere. Right, right. Uh, as far as kudu meat is concerned, I mean, I've heard good things about most of the African antelope species. Where does it stack up with yeah. uh, some of the others? Um, look, I'd say kudu is definitely in the top five most popularly eaten um, species of animal here in this country, for sure. Uh, the nice thing is you get a good amount of meat off it. So if you're really wanting to shoot for your household and process a, a good-sized animal, then it's very much worthwhile shooting a kudu as opposed to maybe an impala, which will give you a quarter of the amount of meat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I personally enjoy it a lot. We eat a lot of it, and I think that's something you might enjoy um, when you are yourself. is going into the kitchen with the ladies, and we'll always prepare a lot of venison um, of different animals for you to try and camp. And certainly you take a backstrap or a tenderloin out of kudu, we marinate it over a day or two and cook it on an open barbecue it's spectacular it's really nice subtle flavor and i think that's what a lot of the resounding uh, feedback and comment from a lot of um, our american clientele is that wow this is not very gamey at all it's, it's actually very slight in flavor and and very enjoyable awesome. so i think that's something for you to look forward to is trying a lot of the game that we harvest in the in the time of you yeah oh yeah yeah i'm certainly looking forward to that i i, I do love uh cooking the wild game that uh, I bring home. So certainly um, high expectations on that front. Um, Sticks, I guess as right. we're wrapping things up here, um, where can folks find John X Safaris if, if they're looking to book a hunt? They can, hell, they can join us on our hunt. I think we still have a couple spots open. That's uh, We arrive July 26th, I believe, and we will hunt through like August 4th. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So certainly, Caleb, is, um, some of your listeners could certainly join yourself um, on your safari when you'll be out here to the end of July. Um, and by all means, anyone can uh, mail us directly either at hunting at johnxsafaris.co.za or visit our website. It's uh, www.johnxsafaris.co.za. And there, too, there, there's an inquiry page there if you want to get hold of us. But by all means, um, drop us a line, and we, we get back to you pretty quickly on that. Awesome. Well, hey, man, we've enjoyed it. I know the greater kudu is synonymous with uh, South Africa, and is especially the Eastern 100%. Cape there. And I am certainly looking forward yep. to uh, sharing that adventure with you guys coming up here very soon. Great, Kevin. Well, we look forward to having you. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to approach soon now. It's a yeah. few months out, but in no time you'll be this side of the world and we'll be having a good time. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I appreciate it, Sticks. We will talk to you soon, bud. Thank you, Cable. Thanks for having me on the show, and um, thanks to your listeners for joining us and listening today. Awesome, brother. Take care. Okay. Cheers, man. Have a good day. All right, Ross Sticks, Hool, PH from John, X Safaris, great stuff there. Uh, truly, kudu is one of those animals that um, I've always thought was beautiful, but I never knew I would have the opportunity 
to hunt. And uh, when I found out what the trophy fee was on a kudu, well, I'll be danged. I could actually afford it. So I am certainly pumped about our trip coming up here in July with John X Safaris. And by the way, that segment was brought to you by John X Safaris, a second-generation safari outfit located on South Africa's beautiful Eastern Cape. They specialize in quality animals, everything from Plains Game to the Big Five, you name it, John X Safaris has got you covered on whatever species is on your bucket list. So if you're looking to book that dream hunt, or maybe you want to join me on my safari uh, July 26th through, I believe, August 4th, all you need to do is send me an email at LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com, or if you're looking to uh, plan a trip for your family and friends, just visit their website, which is johnxsafaris.co.za. Well, let's knock out a quick break. Up next, we'll visit with antique firearms dealer Ed Ray, and we'll get into the FP-45 Liberator pistol manufactured by the U.S. Army during World War II. There's a lot of backstory and unique history surrounding this little single-shot 45, and we'll get into that next right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Well, I got drunk by myself last night. They say it's no way to make things right. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hey, hey, y'all, this is Roger Crager, and if I'm not out fishing or trying to take over the world, I'm listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little more than a few old guns handed down the line. Once owned by my net and popped but now they're mine. One of my all-time favorites there, I got the guns from our buddy Roger Kreger bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, as always, Lone Star Beer. 
and Hoff Power Players. Uh, we wouldn't be here without their support. I'm your host, Cable Smith, by the way, and man, it is great to be here with you guys and gals this morning. Thank you so much for dropping by and sharing a part of your week with me as we've got a segment that I am so excited about, y'all. Uh, truly a unique piece of history when it comes to firearms. But before we are joined by longtime antique firearm dealer Ed Ray, uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. Uh, listen, you can save 20% off of any thermal or night vision optic that Pulsar makes if you use the Lone Star Outdoors Show discount code. That's right, 20% off. And so if you're thinking about a thermal scope, you know, three, four $4,000, 20% off is a lot of money. So take advantage. Use that Lone Star Outdoors Show discount code. Check out the new Core, the new Helion, and the new Trail. That's all the brand new stuff from Pulsar. And you can find it at PulsarNV.com. Okay, well, uh, this week I had the pleasure of heading over to an antique mall in Plano, Texas, see a friend of mine, a longtime family friend, and actually the pastor that married my wife and I, Ross Prater. He came across this gun at an antique mall a couple weeks back, and he told me the story as you know, as well as he could from what he remembered. And so I immediately called this antique firearm dealer, Ed Ray, and I asked Ed if I could come up to his store and tape an interview with him to talk about the World War II era Liberator 45 pistol that he has on location. A very rare pistol from World War II. But there's a lot of backstory behind this gun. And I don't want to get into it too much because uh, Ed is an expert on the subject as he deals uh, and has been dealing with antique firearms for some time. So here it is, uh, our visit with longtime antique weapon dealer Ed Ray regarding the Liberator 45 single-shot pistol. Ed, thanks for having me at your store, High Street Antique Mall here in Plano, Texas. Um, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and how long you've been doing it? Actually, I sell jewelry. I have fine jewelry. Plus, I have antique firearms. Uh -huh. And I've been doing this for 30 years now. And you're from Fort Worth? From Fort Worth, originally. Uh -huh. Lived in Dallas for quite a while now. Okay. Um, well, so, let me ask you, why, why do you specialize in vintage weapons? What is it that makes that so appealing compared to, say, dealing with, like, the Sig Sauer 380 that's in my pocket? You can get those anywhere. Yeah. These are... You don't see these. No. Okay. That's, that's what I like. Some that's unusual. Uh huh. My jewelry is all unusual. Uh, the regular stuff is everywhere. Right. Right. Well, let me ask you about this. This is the Liberator. It's a Liberator. Uh huh. I'm not much of an antique collector. Maybe as I get older, I will get into that. But my friend's dad is a big time antiquer, and, and he was in here just looking around, and he's fascinated by old guns as well. And y'all started talking, and. And Ross, uh, I ran into him the other day, and he's like, "Yeah, you gotta, you gotta find out more about this Liberator. It's such a cool story." And obviously, this is a gun that I know nothing about. Uh, so I did a little research and, and gave you a shout. Um, talk about what you know. Talk about the concept for this gun and kind of the background there. All righty. First of all, this was in 1942. The United States decided they were going to do a little psychological warfare. There was a lot of occupied countries, and we were going to make a weapon that we could drop behind enemy lines and let resistance fighters and just the general population 
have a weapon. Mm-hmm. And that would probably, we hope, demoralize the enemy. Right. Well, we So made, if the Gestapo didn't know that they, they might, the uh, resistance might be armed, then... They found out pretty quick. Yeah. You know, it didn't take long for them to know that this wasn't a flare gun. Uh-huh. But uh, it was designed by, uh, his name is Mr. Hyde. Uh-huh. Uh, it took six months from inception until they actually had the finished product. It took 300 people at General Motors, General Motors at the Guide Lamp Division uh-huh. to make this gun. They made a million of them in 11 weeks. Wow, that's pretty they fast. They were supposed to drop them <laughs> behind enemy lines in France, Poland, Philippines, occupied countries. Uh-huh. We sent 450,000 of them to England, hoping that that was where we we're going to drop them into France mm-hmm. for the resistance. Most of those didn't get used. They got dumped into the ocean or melted for the middle. Wow. Uh, we sent 450,000 of them to the OSS in the Philippines. And a lot of them got used. Hmm. And 100,000, the last 100,000 went to China, and we don't know what happened to those. Wow. But most of them just laid out in the fields and rusted, or they got burned, or they got dumped into the ocean. Hmm. So it's kind of unusual to find them. You can find them, but they're, they're just not everywhere. Right, right. And it's a, it's a smooth bore gun, uh-huh. no rifling in it. I'm going to drop this down so I can show you. Or I'll hold it for you. That way we can still get the sound there. The way the gun operates is you pull this back uh-huh. and turn it. Of course, I'm trying to see the camera. Yeah. And then you open it up here, and then you drop the bullet in here. Put this down, line it up, and that wow. would have fired the gun. Uh-huh. And it's a 45 caliber. 45 caliber ACP. We dropped it with 10 rounds of ammunition. One in the chamber and nine of them inside. This is just storage, just not a magazine. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so single shot forty five. Single shot forty five. Yeah. And you had pretty desperate to, to do it. Yeah. It's, it's just made out of stamped steel. That's that's. Yeah. And so the the, I guess the concept or the, the goal was for someone in the resistance to use this on occupied forces and then take their gun, take his weapons, and throw this away. Mm-hmm. It's a throwaway gun. It has no markings on it. We didn't plan on getting them back. Uh, it was just a throwaway gun. Yeah, yeah. And the cost I was reading to manufacture each one of these was only two dollars and ten cents. Well, that it varied. Uh, I've a lot of reports. It goes from one dollar and seventy three cents to two ten. Uh huh. So in that area is what what it cost Uncle Sam. Yeah. And in nineteen forty two, was that relatively cheap compared to other guns we were making? That was pretty expensive for this. Uh-huh. You know, a buck seventy three and forty two was a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. You know, back then a quarter would buy you something. Right, right. So. Right. So overall it's I mean, with a million of them made, uh I guess the the grand scheme or the the plan never came to fruition. It seems like it was kind of a failure. Well, Eisenhower the general Eisenhower at the time wasn't too thrilled about having everybody in Europe to be armed. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really thrilled about doing that, so he's the one that really put the stop on it. Okay. Okay. Uh, is there any idea about, I mean, you said uh, half of them essentially went to England, half went to the Philippines, and then 100,000 went to China. Mm-hmm. Is there any idea how many still remain today? There's no idea. I have no idea. Uh-huh. So what is the value on this Liberator right here? They range between twenty five hundred and twenty seven hundred dollars in this condition. Uh-huh. Uh, if you have the box and the schematics and everything that went with it when it was originally dropped, well, it's worth about thirty five hundred. Wow. Wow. Okay. But very few of those survived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, talk about 
this specific gun because I, you told me a lady brought it into you and there's a cool story that, that yeah. goes with this y'all find this pretty fascinating yeah, this is pretty neat i had a customer come into me and she liked books this is a book this is called domestic relations uh-huh <laughs> for those listening on the radio this is uh this is a big red book big red book. yeah and she liked things that were underlined and margin copies and this one had all that but she got out to her car and she opened it up a little bit further into it and Wow. This is what she found. See the that? The gun was inside the book. Yeah. So she brought this to me, and she asked me, what in the world did she have? Was it a toy? And I said, no. I had my computer up, and I pulled this up, and I showed her at the time. And I purchased it from her then and there, and she was thrilled, and I was pretty happy, too. Yeah. Because I'd never had one personally uh-huh. until this happened. It was very unusual. Yeah, yeah. So do you think? That, I mean, this didn't come from Europe, right? This is probably in some American. No, the, the, the estate that this came from, the man had been a gun collector. Uh-huh. And his family had sold all the guns, they thought. Nobody knew the gun was in this book. <laughs> yeah. $2 is what she paid for it. $2. Two bucks. And then she sold it to you for $1,000. $1, $1, wow. That's pretty cool. So she uh, walked out pretty happy. Yeah, lucky day for her. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty happy. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, just a nice history piece here. Uh, this, this liberator, like I said, I didn't know anything about it. Um, a plan that really, uh, that didn't work out, but at the end of the day, great idea. yeah, it really was. So single shot 45 ACP to drop behind enemy lines. Nobody in the services ever used this gun. The United States never used this gun. Right, right. It was awful to be dropped behind enemy lines. Uh huh. And when they were mass producing it, uh, at General Motors, I, I believe that, that they kept that under wraps. It was a big secret, obviously, and, and nobody knew about yeah, it. Yeah, the Godlamp division made this one. The inland division of General Motors was making the M1 carbine at the same time. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want to get them mixed up and confused. And this, of course, was a secret. Yeah. And it was supposed to have been a flare gun and not a pistol. In fact, uh, the nomenclature of the gun was totally foreign from a pistol. The barrel was called a tube. Uh-huh. The trigger was called a yoke. The trigger guard was called a spanner, and the firing pin was actually called a control rod. Wow. So that's the uh-huh. nomenclature of the, of the little gun. Yeah. So if enemy agent saw it, well, he wouldn't know what paperwork was on it. Right, right. Well, here's a, this might be a little bit of a silly question, but so when you're dropping, I mean, this is not, it's kind of heavy. When you're dropping something this heavy out of an airplane behind enemy well, lines. No, it was put in a box. Okay. They put it in a box. Uh-huh. It had a schematic with cartoon top figure showing how to use it no words because it went yeah. to different countries and they had a wooden dowel so they could punch out the empty brass in case they get another shot yeah and they had 10 rounds of ammunition and it was in the box the box had been dumped in paraffin so it'd be weatherproof mm-hmm. and then they just air dropped them in those boxes uh-huh. and when they hit well of course they just bounced and yeah okay of okay. course some were destroyed i'm sure yeah 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 well, fascinating history piece here. You know, I, I love looking back at old guns and kind of how we've evolved to what we carry and use every day. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is definitely something that, that stood out to me. Uh, let me ask you here, as we kind of wrap things up, though, what is the oldest firearm uh, that you have here currently or the oldest that you've ever dealt with? Well, the oldest one I've ever had is one I have now. It's a matchlock rifle or a mu- it's a muzzle loader. It's, it's a oh, musket. Wow. Uh-huh. It was made in Japan. In the mid 1700s. Wow. So this is a Japanese musket. And if you would hold this. Yeah. One, this is a matchlock. This one they had a long 
cord, which was used as a fuse. They'd soak it in saltpeter so that it would burn. They'd thread it through this hole. Uh-huh. Then they'd thread it back through this hole, come around and put it inside the hammer with the burning end down. Hmm. And then whenever they were ready to fire it, they'd open up, the cu- this covered the pan up so that the, the powder wouldn't accidentally go off. Then they'd just drop the huh. burning end into the powder and that would ignite it. Uh-huh. And this one is a 46 caliber. Uh-huh. And how uh, old is it? This was made in the mid-1700s. Wow. I'm just looking at the uh, the uh, the craftsmanship here for something that was is that old. Is I mean, the wood is, is beautiful. And the and here's something ornate stuff unusual. there. The gun itself, the barrel, the only metallurgist in Japan at that time were the swordsmiths. Uh-huh. So they had them make the barrel out of swords. Wow. The swords were heated and wrapped around an iron rod like the Damascus barrel. The iron rod then later punched out, and they had a barrel, a tube, and they dress it down, and that was their barrel. Huh. And the swordsmiths, these are made of swords. And yeah. the samurai carried this gun. This was a samurai weapon. Uh-huh. And they were getting away from the swords, but they didn't get all the way away from them because they had a sword here. Very cool. Very Steel cool. sword. Yeah. Well, and awesome stuff. Before they had shoulder stocks. This is called a cheek stock. You just put up to your cheek and ah. the fire. Ah. Yeah. Very cool. This is That's the awesome one. piece of history as well. Yeah. 17, mid 1700. Yeah. Well, Ed, if folks want to find you and, and check in, I know you've got a, a bunch of antique guns and, uh, and knives got as well. A bunch. Yeah. So, uh, where, how can they find you? They just come to 800 North Central Expressway in Plano at High Street Antique Mall. Mm-hmm. And just walk in the door and ask them for Ed Ray's booth, and they'll tell you. That's what I did. <laughs> well, thanks, Ed. We certainly appreciate it. Well, you're certainly welcome. All right, there he goes, Ed Ray, uh, vintage firearm dealer. And I tell you what, after I taped that interview with Ed this week, I actually spent an extra two hours there just visiting and learning about all the other vintage weapons and knives that he had right there at his storefront. And he had one uh, Civil War era knife from a Confederate soldier that had etched into the blade, kill all Yankees. I'm not kidding you. So just some interesting uh, historical vintage weapons, and it was a treat spending time with someone so knowledgeable in that field. And that segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue and my friends over at Sendero Seed Company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forge Oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at 1-877-610-SEED today. Sendero Seed Company for all your planting needs. Let's take a break. Up next, a very funny segment with one of my favorite Elite Series anglers. It's the P's and Q's of ones and twos. That's right. Bathroom protocol on the water. 2014 Elite Series angler Greg Hackney joins us next for this inside look at professional bass fishing right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. 
Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Hey folks, this is Zane Williams. Thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoors show. Good reason to cry. And I don't have a heart. Ever since she left me, if I only could. Our good buddy Zane Williams bringing us back here on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by. Dallas Safari Club, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm your host, Cable Smith. And, man, we've got a funny bit of audio to play for you here in just a second. But uh, before we yuck it up with uh, 2014 Bassmaster Elite Series Angler of the Year, Greg Hackney, this segment of the show brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. Costa's 580P and 580G technology continue to set the industry standard for polarized lenses Uh, If you're out on the water, you need to see what's below the surface. That's what Costa specializes in. You can mix and match any frame, lens, and style by visiting CostaDelmar.com. Costa sunglasses, see what's out there. All right. Uh, Well, let's go ahead and take a listen to uh, this funny bit of audio that I taped with Greg Hackney uh, at the Bassmaster Classic in Houston a couple weekends ago. And this honestly has nothing to do with fishing, but more the protocol of ones and twos, meaning when you got to go to the bathroom on the water, what do you do in the middle of a tournament? So without further ado, uh, here it is, our good friend and a larger than life personality, Greg Hackney. Uh, it's been on the show a couple times, but it's nice to get to meet you in person. Yeah, it's good to be here under these circumstances that we have right now. Yes, sir. Uh, now, I'm sure that our interview last year was probably one of the highlights of 2016 for you. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd say that. Oh, so, okay, one thing we have to take care of real quick before we really jump into the meat of things is Skeet wanted me to ask you to get the hackney turn, if we could get that. He just kind of said it was like just kind of like one of these things you do. I don't, no, 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 I don't, no I don't validity to that. No. <laughs> okay, uh, well. Please don't be intimidated by the mustache. I'm not, but it's strong. Okay. Tell you, it's <laughs> strong. Strong. Mustache game yeah. is strong. Uh, kind of borderline village people. My brother says it looks like a pervert, but yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't, well, I wouldn't go there. Uh, so, well, after deer season, I just, you know, I know you're a big deer hunter. I went to get that beard off, and this is just what was That's left. what was left. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, okay, Greg, you're, you're a pretty easygoing, likable guy. Uh, you know, your reputation among the elite series pros so i'm going to ask you the tough questions today this weekend you'll have a marshal in your boat and a uh, video guy as well or just a marshal uh i actually think tomorrow i'll only have a video guy okay well when you've got two other people in your boat what is the protocol for making a tinkle uh i just typically go in the opposite direction the way they're facing <laughs> okay <laughs> i really like to pee into the wind honestly so it sprays everyone behind me 
Well, so you've got a lot of fans that are on the water during an event like this. Yeah, so this event here, honestly, is not a good one to have to tinkle. Yeah. you got to cut back on the coffee in the morning. Okay. Now, do you, so you dip or you drink coffee? Uh, I do drink coffee. Okay. So that makes you pretty regular in the morning. Yes, it does. I try to take – I get up early enough to take care of that, <laughs> hopefully, yeah. before we start. Well, everyone that's ever duck hunted with me knows that once the decoys, the spread's deployed, right before shooting light, that's when cable goes and takes care of business. So – what if that happens on the water, though? Ah, uh, you know what? We're going to somebody's house. <laughs> I don't know whose house. There's a lucky listener out there. And I make sure if I show up on your front door tomorrow, you'll know why. Oh man! So uh, this fishing guide uh, that uh, what you just you just won on Texoma, right? I did last year. Yeah, one bass yeah. fest uh-huh. on Texoma. Yeah. Well, one of my good buddies is, is a striper guide up there, and he told me this story about he just had to go number two so bad. He had a woman and a man in the boat. And he just looked at him and said, I'm sorry. And he told him to go to the front of the boat, and he got a bucket and just did it in the back of the boat with a woman there. Yeah, I got one better than that. A friend of mine at Guides, the woman needed to go to the restroom. <laughs> and so her husband said, Can, would it be all right if she used your live well? And he was like, <laughs> sure. He's thinking, you know, she's got a tinkle. Yeah. That's not what she left in his life. Oh, my God. That is, that's worse than what happened to my buddy. That is terrible. Uh, so what if you did have to – I mean – I think I would just jump in the water and kind of use the lake as a boudet, just natural, just, no? No, I'm going to somebody's You're house. You're not going there? Yeah. Okay. Let's see, as far as foods to stay away from, is there anything that you, you know, you try not to eat before you're out on the water for a day? Or or you just got kind of like an iron gut and it doesn't matter? You know, I like Mexican food, but not the day before the Bassmaster class. <laughs> right, right. Well, okay, uh, enough about that. We just, you know, just try to get an inside view there. Uh, how was your deer season? I know you're. It was good. Yeah, yeah. it was good. Okay, yeah. big buck. A uh, nice one. Not a. I wouldn't say big, but a real nice one. Okay. Uh, favorite venison recipe. Oh wow. You know what? I, I'll be honest with you. you. You can fix venison in lots of ways. Good, but tenderized and floured and fried like chicken fried steak. Uh huh. Is my favorite. Can't beat that. Uh, favorite largemouth bass recipe. Uh, cornmeal with Tony Sachets. Okay. Uh, well, you've been a good sport, man. I love you, and uh, good luck this weekend. I love you too, Cable. (laughs) (laughs) There you have it, 2014 Angler of the Year, Greg Hackney, man. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. All right. Now, you couldn't just uh, walk up to any Elite Series angler and expect uh, for them to be so accommodating to that line of questioning, but we've always had a good rapport with Greg, and and he just went with it. So uh, appreciate him. And just a little background setting there so you can kind of visualize what was going on. They had all of the Elite Series anglers that were competing in the Classic. All the anglers um, were outside Minute Maid Park in downtown Houston by their boats. So they trailered in all the boats. And then during uh, the media day, you just kind of went from boat to boat and and got sound bites and interviews from whatever anglers uh, you wanted to visit with. Uh, Obviously, Greg was near the top of my list, uh, made it a priority to – Spend some quality time with him. Uh, That segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available right now in the new Come and Take It can. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the Turkey Woods or out to chase those crappie this spring. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Let's take a break. Up next, um, I'll give you some tips for spring turkey season. I've been chasing these gobblers a long time, y'all, and while... I am far from the best turkey hunter on the planet. I have had plenty of success. And so I'll give you some things to think about based off my experiences that hopefully 
We'll help you tag that big ground dragger of a Tom this spring. And that's next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. And all them pretty people up on El Cerrito Place, they all got something in their pockets. All got something on their It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about Tidal Roofing. A fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003, plus one of the owners is a range listener himself. Title Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at TitleRoofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Hey, y'all, Cable here for the Lake Fork Classic Amateur Fishing Tournament benefiting Camp John Mark. John Mark is a camp that serves children and teens who share a common medical or physical challenge. There are big fish tournament prizes awarded to the top six biggest fish, barbecue and raffle auction following the weigh-in. Visit www.lakeforkclassic.com for details. It's all going down Saturday, April 22nd at the legendary Lake Fork, so come on out for a fun, laid-back tournament for a good cause. That's www.lakeforkclassic.com. Old friend, that's the name of that one there, from our very own Cody Jinks, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for riding shotgun with me today as we're all set to talk a little turkey hunting. But before I give you uh, some of the do's and don'ts that, I've learned over the years <laughs> uh, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Horizon Firearms based out of College Station, Texas. Y'all have seen the pictures I've posted of my Horizon Firearms 7 mag. That thing is a tack driver. I've never lost an animal with that gun. And actually, I've never seen an animal run more than 20 feet. Knock on wood, of course. But, uh, yeah, I absolutely love My Horizon Firearms. Whether you want a custom rifle or a semi-custom rifle, let Derek Ratliff and the team over at Horizons set you up with your next rig, and you can find out everything you need to know by visiting horizonfirearms.com. Okay, well, we are we're short on time here today, so I could talk about turkey hunting until I'm blue in the face and then still not be tired of it. It's one of my absolute favorite things to do each spring and actually no it is my favorite thing to do every spring there's no doubt about that uh, so here they are six quick turkey tips that might help you bag a gobbler this spring number one back it on up that's right uh, and hell this is something that proved true this last weekend I was hunting down around uh, Heiko and struck three gobblers we were in the middle of a thick forest. There was no way that we would have seen them coming. So we had to get to the next opening. Forget putting a decoy out at this point. We set those on the ground. We're just trying to get to a clearing, any kind of clearing, a road, um, anything where we could actually see them approaching. And they had to be six, 700 yards away. Barely could hear them when they first responded. Uh, but they came charging. They're running. They're closing the distance. And uh, I made a mistake. I should have backed up. And into the closest clearing that would have given us time to get set up. Instead, we started running towards them, and I was just thinking. And, and keep in mind, this is on a piece of property that I wasn't familiar with, uh, hadn't hunted there before. So I started running towards them, just trying to get to a clearing of any kind uh, to intercept them. Well, 
We got there at the same time they did, and while I could have shot them, I probably could have killed all three of them with my 12-cage. They were literally 10 yards away running right at me. Uh, but as I stepped into the, the little road there, I uh, was trying to get my buddy Trevor his first turkey, and he had an AR, and he simply chose not to shoot because I was in front of him, and he did not want to blow out my eardrum. So I appreciate that. So anyway, had I chosen to back up and move away from the turkeys to a clearing, that would have given us more time to get set up, and uh, we'd have each tagged a turkey. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, they wanted it, and they wanted it bad. So uh, that's the first tip. Sometimes it's better just to move backwards. Turkeys were coming, and I just uh, I got excited and caught up in the moment and made a mistake uh, against my better judgment. I knew not to do that. Uh, number two, go going back to the road, or trail, that is one of my favorite places to set up your decoy. Whether it's a strutter or a jake and a hen, whatever your decoy combination is, use a road. Uh, and I'm not talking about a, a, an you know asphalt or a uh, actual paved road. I'm talking about those roads that go through a property. Animals use those roads. Whether it's a deer or a turkey, they're inclined to take the path of least resistance. And I cannot tell you how many times... I have called a tom up just running down the road, just like those three were the other day. Hell, uh, if we'd have got there in time, I could have put out a decoy and shot him in the head at five yards. Uh, but use the road or a trail, put your decoys out there, and then sit on either side of it. And I promise you that the turkey is going to be coming so fast down that road, he's only going to be keyed in on that decoy, and you're going to shoot him upside the head I mean, maybe even as close as, as five yards, depending on how far back you tuck up into the brush. So uh, use the roads and trails to your advantage. Number three, if you're about to get up and move, wait 30 minutes longer. A lot of times, especially if you're talking to a gobbler, he will shut up. You'll think that he left the county maybe even. You haven't heard him gobble for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. You're getting frustrated where did he go? What's he doing? You know, all that stuff's going through your head. Wait 30 more minutes. A lot of times those toms are henned up, uh, and they will eventually breed that hen or lose out in a fight with another gobbler and, and not have the right to breed that hen. And they'll be hot and ready looking for love once again. And that was the case. Once I'll go back to those three gobblers from this weekend, we saw those toms, uh, probably around eight o'clock. You know, we roosted them the day before. They were hinned up, gobbling their, just gobbling their heads off for about the first 30 minutes after sunup, and then they shut up. Well, around 10.30, whew, they were hot and heavy, ready to get after it again, and that's when they came charging down the road. Uh, okay, so wait 30 more minutes. If you thought you waited long enough, wait 30 more. And it's not just because they might be hinned up. Uh, a lot of times, especially as the season progresses, those comms will become a lot more cautious, and uh, they might just be approaching very, very methodically and very slowly. And I've been busted before. I've gotten up just in time to see a tom 20 yards away in the bushes just kind of looking at me, trying to check things out, and that was that. So uh, don't make that mistake. Just give it a little more time. Tip number four, use last season's turkey fan in your strutter decoy. Uh, all these strutter decoys today come with some kind of cheap plastic-looking fan that you stick in the back. And I'm talking about the big strutter, the one that you're trying to attract a three- or four-year-old Tom with. But uh, dry your fan out, spread it out, and then use that with your decoy. It makes it 
infinitely more realistic. And I've had, and, and the proof's in the pudding. I've had Toms charge that thing, pick fights with it. Whereas with the plastic one, eh, they've still done it, but not with as great a frequency as if you use that actual uh, turkey fan. So if you don't have one, save this season's turkey fan and use it next year. Uh, number five, tip number five, avoid the sunrise surprise. This one actually doesn't have to do with killing a turkey. It has to do with getting poison ivy on your legs and all the way up to you. You know what is what happened to me last Saturday. Uh, my friend Trevor and I snuck in on a, uh, a ranch. We didn't sneak in on the ranch. We snuck into an area we thought that the birds were roosting and obviously didn't want to turn our lights on. So we just kind of tucked up into some trees. Well, sun comes up. We're both sitting smack dab in the middle of poison ivy. Uh, so... Avoid making that mistake because it is going to be hot as hell this weekend in South Texas, and I'll be out there chasing them again, but I'll be itching like crazy. So no sunrise surprise. Try to avoid that. Uh, be discreet maybe just before you sit down. Take your cell phone out or just do whatever it takes to uh, to avoid that situation because uh, I think it often is overlooked, and you don't want to be like me because I am living proof. I'm wearing it. Rashes all over my legs. That's nasty, nasty. Uh, the last and final tip, tip number six, have some versatility in your turkey vest. And I'm talking about your calls. Make sure you've got a box call, a diaphragm, and a slate call. Um, if you're not proficient with a diaphragm, no big deal. Box call's great, but that slate call offers you some sounds that it's hard to uh, manipulate with a box call as far as putting and uh, clucking. I mean, all of them can make a great yelp. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but some of those other uh, sounds that you, you'll actually hear turkeys making them in the woods, the hens, when they're walking around, you're sitting there in the woods, and they're having a conversation with each other, or maybe they're having a conversation with you, and it's not all yelps. You'll notice that. Uh, so take notice. Try to replicate the sounds that those hens are making, and uh, the best way to do that is have one of each in your vest. So there you have it, six very basic turkey tips uh, just a few things off the top of my head. Hopefully it helps you bag a big boy this spring. Uh, we've got to go. Got to get out of here. Just flat out of time, unfortunately. Like I said, I'd love to stick around and, and talk about many other ways that I've screwed up turkey hunts over the years. But, uh, hey, I've also enjoyed plenty of success in the turkey woods, and those are the days that keep me coming back each and every spring. I hope they keep you coming back as well. Be safe out there. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in today. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to our guest today, uh, Sticks Hool of John X Safaris, a vintage weapons dealer, Ed Ray, also Elite Series angler, Greg Hackney. We'll do it again same time, same place next week. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors.